Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Greetings to all. I am so grateful to be here with you today as we gather again around God's word here in the book of Ephesians as we continue our series in him. And today we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 11 through 21. The title of today's message is Citizens of Heaven. Now, as we get into this text, this is not necessarily a text that, you know, I would have handpicked myself if I was, you know, given an opportunity to teach on whatever I wanted to teach on, uh, because this text has a number of things in it that are difficult to understand, and, but, but if we dig into it, we'll see the beauty again of the gospel of grace. And that's one of the reasons we, we do what we call expository preaching here at Redeeming Hope, is because it causes the teacher uh, and those in our church family to all grow deeper together in the scriptures. So let's do it. Let's dive in and discuss this text today here in Ephesians chapter two. I'm gonna start in verse 11. Paul writes, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were, who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us as it says earlier in the book of Ephesians, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, so that we would see and know the hope of our calling and the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Three things. We're gonna break this text down into three things that I believe we should see. Number one, the separation. Number two, the sign. And number three, the surprise ending, the separation. In what way uh, are we separated from God as this text describes it? Number two, what's, what's the sign of being part of God's family of God's nation. And number three, the surprise ending. So let's dive in here and let's look at the separation. This text gives us another dire picture of the condition we were in outside of Christ. But it's it's a little different maybe than we're used to hearing because the gospel can come to us in different ways. The, The scriptures present the gospel to us in a number of different ways. And sometimes we can relate to different pictures. For example, there's the light dark picture 
Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So there's the picture of us you know, having been walking in darkness and through Jesus being brought into his light, that he is the light. The gospel is also presented in what you might call a judicial picture or a courtroom picture, that we're being charged with crimes against heaven and we're on trial in heaven's court. Colossians 2.14 says, he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So we're, we're guilty in heaven's court and yet Jesus came and he took the sin, he paid the, the sin debt for us for our crimes against this heavenly court and this heavenly judge. There's also the family picture of the gospel, that we were orphans and, and yet we were adopted and brought into the family of God. John 1:12, Jesus said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I'll give you one more. You might call it the freed slaves picture that we were enslaved by sin and, and enslaved by the impossibility of keeping the standard of the law. And so in Galatians 5, 1, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And maybe as you hear those pictures, you're like, man, I really relate to this one, or I really connect with that one. Or maybe, you know, in some way they all communicate something different about the beauty of the gospel of grace to you. Now, here in today's text, we have a very unique picture of the gospel. It's what you might call a national picture or the citizen picture. It's the Israel-Gentile picture. It contrasts being a citizen of God's chosen people, Israel, versus being cut off as an enemy foreigner. And Paul says, Jesus has made us citizens of Israel. It's another way of saying he's made you part of God's people through the cross. He's made you and I, by faith, citizens of heaven. Now, let's remember, remember the story and kind of rehearse the story of Israel, kind of a flyover of the Old Testament story of God's people, Israel. We see in the book of Genesis that God chose Abraham to be the father of a new nation called Israel, and God made a promise that he would save the world through his family. God's intent was to show his glory to the nations of the world through Israel, his people, through the way they lived, the way they loved one another, and through his generosity and blessing on display through them to the nations of the world. So Genesis tracks the story of the birth of the nation from Israel, uh, from, of Israel, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, who has 12 sons who become the original 12 tribes of Israel, the Jewish people. Now, later, God gave Moses the law to teach the people how to live and establish the priesthood to give God's people a way to approach him in their sin and make payment for sin. King David and King Solomon were the golden age of the kings of, of Israel. And through Israel, uh, God would display his glory to the nations through them. Even though Israel would eventually turn from God, turn from his word, and become a defeated, exiled, captive nation. Now we get to the New Testament, and the book of Matthew records the family line from Abraham all the way to Jesus, the final king, who would fulfill Abraham's promise and save the whole world. And through Christ, God would establish, in a sense, this new Israel, this spiritual Israel, the church made up of people from every nation. But without Christ... 
Ephesians 2 paints a frightening picture of the condition of those who are not part of God's people, the Gentiles. Verse 11 calls us the uncircumcision. I'll share a little bit more on that later. Verse 12 says we are separated from Christ. And interestingly, this tells you something about who Jesus is, doesn't it? How could we be separated from Christ, or at least the Gentiles be separated from Christ, before Jesus ever came to earth? It's because he is eternal. He's always been. Verse 12 says, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Simply put, we are not part of God's family, not part of God's people, not part of God's nation. Verse 12 says, we were strangers to the covenant of promise, meaning we had no right or stake in any of God's promises. Verse 12 also says, we were having no hope and without God in the world. This gives us a picture that we weren't even aware of God. How far were we from God? We weren't aware of him. We were ignorant of him. We weren't even looking for him and we were apathetic toward him. Verse 14 says there's a dividing wall of hostility. This means the disposition that we had toward God and his people was one of hostility, us to him and worse, him to us. Verse 19 calls us strangers and aliens. We are the foreigners. We are, the text uses the phrase, far off. I mean, the, the Greek is way, way away, far away from God. We were as many miles as one could be from God using this nat, nat, national picture. Naturally, there's distance. Nationally, there's distance. And spiritually, there's distance. And there's pictures of this throughout the stories of the Bible. You might remember the story of Jonah and the Ninevites, Israel's enemy, that God sent Jonah to. You remember the story? He disobeyed and he was traveling the other direction and was in, at, you know, he's in this vessel at sea and a storm came and he ended up in the belly of the whale. That's Jonah. And then he ended up going to the Ninevites and preaching repentance and ultimately grace. And we read that story and think, oh, we're, we're the good guys. We're Israel. And the Ninevites are the bad guys. But actually, we are the Ninevites. They are a picture naturally of what we all are spiritually, far from God, worshiping idols, not part of God's people, under the wrath of God. But like God sent an unwilling Jonah to preach salvation to the city, a greater than Jonah came to us from a foreign country, a heavenly country, and preached salvation to us. Now, I don't know if, if you know what it's like, how many of you have traveled if you know what it's like to be a foreigner in a foreign country. I've been over 20 countries. One of my first trips was when I was 18 years old. I spent a gap year in Tanzania in East Africa. When I was 18, at that time, I was on a bus with 70 Tanzanians that got stuck in the middle of the Serengeti Plains. We were on our way to a village called Loliondo, which is about as rural a town as you can find in the world. And so we're on this bus traveling on these dirt roads through the Serengeti and the monsoon rains came and absolutely flooded out the dirt road. And we were stuck out there for days. I remember um, at night you could hear the hyenas laughing and the, the lions would be out sort of circling the area. And so you had to be careful, you know, if you had to go use the bathroom outside the bus, <laughs> how far away you went. And it was while we were out there that some Maasai tribesmen um, came out and, and we were in the middle of their territory 
and uh, they, they just came out to see what was going on and, and encountered some of the, you know, the Tanzanians on the bus and, and saw me, this, this Mzungu, so what they would call a white man. This, there's this Mzungu with all these 70 Africans. And boy, they, they stared at me wondering what I was and why I was there. I mean, I felt very much like I don't belong here. The other passengers had to convince them that I wasn't a threat and then asked them to make us some rice. You know, before Christ, the scripture says we were strangers and aliens. What, what I felt in that, in that place, in the middle of the Serengeti, stuck, you know, in, this, in these washed out, flooded roads, in the middle of the Maasai tribal area. The Bible says that's, that's what we are. We're strange, we were strangers and aliens to God and his people. In a sense, the angels would just kind of stare at us like the Maasai stared at me. Can you imagine if I just walked in unannounced into one of the Maasai villages there? Just walked into a hut and started eating food? First of all, I'd have no right. Second, that would be outright dangerous because I'm a stranger and a foreigner. That's what we were to God before Christ. The separation. Next, let me talk about the sign. What was the sign of being a Jew? Or in a sense, what was the sign of being part of God's people? Well, this Text references circumcision. Not that this is our favorite topic. You know, let's, hey, let, let's go to church today and get together with our friends and talk about circumcision. <laughs> but that, that was the mark of being Jewish as all Jewish males were circumcised on the eighth day. And it was very ceremonial. It was almost like, I, I suppose, maybe the modern picture would be, you know, if you were in a, a religious tradition where they, they practice infant baptism, the ceremonial in a way that would be practiced. It was very similar with the Jewish people and circumcision on the eighth day. They'd be brought to the temple and they'd be circumcised in a ceremonial way. And Paul references this when he's describing this picture of our foreignness. He says in verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That's another way of describing Gentiles and Jews which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. So you might ask what, what I ask. It's like, what was the big deal about circumcision? Why circumcision? And the reason is it was one of the original signs uh, of being, it was a commandment to be circumcised, to be part of God's people. And we get that from Genesis 17, if we go way back, when God and Abraham had their first moments together and God made this promise to Abraham about saving the world through him, this is, listen to what he said to him as far as what would be required for those to be part of God's people. This is Genesis 17, 9 and 11. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you and their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, in other words, if you're circumcised, you're in. If you ain't circumcised, you're out. Now you can understand maybe how the false teachers after Jesus resurrected and ascended to heaven and, and churches started all over the world, now you can understand how false teachers could manipulate people. The book of Galatians calls these false teachers that had come into the church, 
the persuasion. And these false teachers that had come into this Gentile church actually taught that to be really, really, really lovable to God, to be really accepted by God, and really beautiful in the eyes of God, you have, you have to believe in Jesus plus circumcision. Now, how do you think they would convince people of that? I bet they would crack open their Bibles, so to speak, their scrolls, and they would open to Genesis 17. And they'd point to the old covenant. And it was very convincing because it was the Bible and they were challenging the Gentiles to keep more rules. They were challenging the Gentiles to be more obedient. And how could that be a bad thing? How could it be bad to be more religious and more obedient? It's right there. They you have to be circumcised. It's plain as day. And that's why they were called the persuasion is because they were very persuasive. Paul says, that's not the gospel. The gospel is salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And his warning was to the Galatian church, listen, you're becoming more obedient and more religious. And in a sense, you're becoming less Christian at the same time. He's saying, you're moving away from salvation by grace and you're trusting in your performance to the law. And remember the theme of this whole series, in him means that our standing with God is based on our position in him, not our performance. So Paul references these false teachers who claim that the the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be part of God's people. And he references these false teachers who claim to be the true sons of Abraham, truly part of God's people because they were circumcised on the eighth day. And then he makes the case that the deeper mark of Abraham was not external circumcision, it was his faith. Listen to what Paul says right in the middle of Galatians as he's making this argument to the church and trying to rescue them from legalism. He says in Galatians 3 verses 6 through 9, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And he makes this stunning, scandalous conclusion. I mean, you don't realize how scandalous this would have been for these Jewish legalists who are trying to force cultural Judaism on these Gentile believers. You don't know how scandalous it would have been for, for him to say this. Verse nine. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, he's saying, look, to these Gentile believers. These bozos claiming to be the sons of Abraham because they had minor surgery are, are not actually the sons of Abraham. It's those who have faith in Christ who are actually the sons of Abraham, whether or not you've actually been circumcised. And he was hated for that. He was persecuted for that. He's saying faith in Christ is the sign, not external circumcision. So this means that those who believe in God's mercy and grace like Abraham did, they are the sons of Abraham. In the New Testament age, those who have faith in Christ are citizens of heaven now and those who do not believe in Christ are not. So now in Christ, we have this new national identity. We're citizens of heaven. We have this new mission. Since this world is not ultimately our home, we're we're pilgrims on our way to our ultimate homeland as citizens of heaven. Here and now we are like ambassadors sent by God living in a foreign country and we represent our king here. We have new rights as citizens of heaven. We have access to God, access to his promises and you know, his, his, his covenants. The right 
to be called the children of God. Spiritual blessings like we looked at in Ephesians 1 of salvation, adoption, and a victorious future. Think about the blessing of just having access to God. Isn't that amazing? We have access to God. You literally can access heaven as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, my children have access to me. They get to live in my home, eat at my table. They even barge in on me sometimes when I'm using the boys' room. They are not strangers. And we are not strangers and aliens anymore. We're members of the household of God. We eat at his table. We have access to the Father. Our name is known in heaven. And because we are in Christ, if you went to heaven right now, you would be received with the same warmth and love as if Jesus himself were returning. Because we are in Christ. We're in him. There was separation. Now we've seen the sign, this sign of circumcision. And now this sets up the third point here that I want to share with you. And that is the surprise ending. And there's three surprise endings. First, the first surprise was that God was not only, not only was God going to save the Gentiles, he was going to make anyone who believes in Jesus a citizen of Israel, who's going to make them spiritually Jewish. And he was going to cut off the Jews from Israel who rejected Jesus. He was going to make one new man, the church, from both Jews and Gentiles. And Peter, in, the, in his, his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, gets to this and it says, Peter said to them, and he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles who were in the city at the time, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is made to you, your children, to all who are far away. Yes, as many as the Lord our God will call. He was preaching to both Jews and Gentiles there in the day of Pentecost. He's saying, God is going to make the two one, even the far off ones, the far away ones. He's going to make one new man, the church, one new nation. And this was the first surprise. And here's how he would do it. Back to today's text, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So that was the first surprise that God was gonna make one new man out of Jews and Gentiles. The second surprise was that he was going to send his son to do it. He would send his son to die at the hands of his own people. That the great deliverer would deliver them, the one that was foretold, and he would deliver us, not by leading an army against Rome, but by dying on a cross. They couldn't conceive of it. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And it says in verse seven, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus preached Peace, peace between Jews and Gentiles, peace between God the Father and those who dwell on the earth who would believe in his son. But we need to understand what kind of peace this is. This is not the peace of God. 
You know, you know what the peace of God is? You're anxious about a situation and you maybe finally feel okay about a certain, you know, some circumstances or a decision that you made that you were anxious about. That's, that is promised peace from God, but that's the peace of God. This is what Paul calls peace with God in Romans 5. This means that God was against us because of our sin, that we were his enemies that the laws and ordinances that are mentioned in this text stood against us. We were part of an enemy nation, but Jesus preached peace. How would he bring that peace? He would become an enemy of God. He would become an enemy of God the Father on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became like an enemy so that we could become sons and daughters, so that we could become citizens of heaven. He became like a foreigner so that we could become part of God's people. So the first surprise that God was going to unite Jews and Gentiles into one new man. The second surprise is that he's going to use his son to do it. And the third surprise, let me circle back to this idea of circumcision. The third surprise is what the true nature of circumcision was. And Paul writes about it in another epistle, Romans 2, 28 and 29. Listen to what he says plainly here in Romans For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Wow. This means that he is not a Jew or a true child of Abraham who is one outwardly. Back in Genesis, when God commanded Abraham to circumcise his sons, what did he say? He said, the wound will be the sign. The wound was the sign of the covenant when you wound your sons through circumcision on the eighth day. And what I want to suggest to you is that in the new covenant, nothing would change. The wound would still be the sign. Jesus was wounded. He was the sign of the new covenant. Jesus has become circumcision for us. And in doing so, he made enemies of Israel, citizens of Israel. He made foreigners, aliens, and strangers, citizens of heaven. Verse 18, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He brought the far off ones near. He made us citizens of heaven. We are in Christ. And throughout the scriptures, we see a picture of God pursuing far away ones, lost ones, prodigal ones, lost sheep, lost coins, and lost sons. And aren't you glad? Because that's me and that's you. Are you far off today? Have you wandered from your shepherd, for we all like sheep have gone astray, we turn our own way. But he's the God of the far off ones and he makes aliens and strangers citizens and members of his own household. Go to him today. I wanna finish before I just give a few brief thoughts about how to apply this message with a, a story of a far off one. And this is, from the, this is from my sister's life, my younger sister, Andrea. She's been very open about this story. Um, she, uh, she gave me permission to share this uh, story in, in this message. Uh, she, she published a blog a few years ago. I'm just going to read just a little bit of it called, 
when I called God a cheat and I ran off with a married man by Andrea Lewandowski. I had, I had no stark raving mad teenage rebellion, no disgraceful rampages against my parents or authority, nothing so shocking to write home about. I was a kid who would sit at summer camp and listen to testimony after testimony and wonder if I had one at all. Jesus didn't save me from drugs or sex or a sordid past. I asked the question time and time again, what exactly did he save me from? Tell your testimony, Andrea, someone would say, and I'd give a curt, Jesus protected me from the mess story when I didn't realize that I was running headfirst into a self-righteous, works-driven mess that would alter the course of my life forever. I didn't understand that sin isn't always something you do, but it's in our bones and it's in our blood like a parasitic disease, always hungry, always destroying, always hunched on the quieter outer limits. My pastor says it like this. Our hearts have a sewer system, a sewage system running through them. Sewage is coursing through all of us. For some of us, the pipes burst. The mess is awful. But it's still the same sewage that runs through the good girl's heart too. I was the good girl and my pipes were about to burst open. I sauntered into my 20s, naive, bold, arrogant, and in the Christian church public eye. A touring worship leader and musician, speaker at youth events, mentor of young girls, writer of songs, and private as all get out, I had a great exterior. But internally, I was dying. Dying of trying to be good. Dying of asking all the questions, but not wanting answers. I was racing toward burnout and did my best to always put my best foot forward. When I was 21, a 20-year-old friend of mine that I admired and loved died of cancer. I screamed hell at God, and from a, from a dark Nashville hotel room, I weighed his will and decided it came up wanting. In those few short weeks, I found God in my heart. I concluded he was a cheat and a swindler, and I tossed my trust of him out the window. One year later, at 22, I laid in a strange hotel room bed, and I realized that everything I'd known about myself up to that point was broken. No, not just broken. It was gone. It was as though I'd crossed some dark threshold and the former me was shouting at the end of a long twisted hallway. I didn't know if I'd ever see her again. I'd run off with a married man, broken the trust of my family, lost my ministry and disappeared with him into a dark spring night. Me, the virgin protected by Jesus story girl was now falling off the edge of a cliff from which I knew that even if Jesus did once care about me, certainly he didn't or couldn't anymore. As my phone rang relentlessly for those who sought to find me, I cried and wished I knew how to be a better person. I cried because I knew I'd gone too far. I cried because I was laying in the bed of my own sin and I felt trapped. I felt sick to my stomach and I tried not to give the man in the room the hint that I felt like I was dying. If it's true that God lets us taste our own sin and feel the emptiness of life without him, I felt the weight of it in that hotel room. People in full-time ministry shouldn't have illicit affairs. A virgin doesn't throw, her, throw away her pride in one night. The good girl doesn't do bad things. But oh, they do. She does. And I did. I tell people the moment I had an affair was not when I kissed a married man or when I drove away from my best friend's house in spite of those begging me not to do so. The moment I had an affair was when I didn't turn my car around. A friend of mine listened to me on the phone as I confessed to her the stir of my heart. You need to turn your car around, she said. You need to go home. Don't go down this road. And all the time, while I helplessly and selfishly ran headfirst into an affair, Grace was running headfirst toward me. You know, you can be far off in religion and you can be far off in irreligion. 
There's no difference. And Jesus brings all of us home, Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious. He brings us home to his grace through what he did on the cross. How do we apply this message, citizens of heaven? Number one, believe. Jesus said, only believe. Believe it's true. You've got your green card. You're in. You're a citizen of heaven now. You have access to God. You have an inheritance in Christ. Believe it and shape your identity around it. Second, accept the call to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ in this foreign country. You represent him now. And in word and deed, let's spread the aroma, the fragrance of Christ to those around us here in Clarksville who so desperately need to hear about the love of this God who reaches for the farthest and the hardest. And finally, I want to encourage you with me and with Josh to pray for Clarksville and continue to reach out in Jesus' name. Put on your Jesus glasses and notice the people around you in your neighborhood, in your school, at work, in your classroom, your sports team. Notice and reach out to them in Jesus' name because God, the story of the Bible is the story of the missionary heart of God reaching out to a lost and broken world. And today he's doing it through his people, the true sons and daughters of Abraham who live by faith in him in this foreign land. He's using us to bring his message and his love to others. I hope you're encouraged today as I am. We're members of God's household, citizens of heaven. I want you to think about that this week and let that shape your life. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.